Cause we got the alternative energy Unmicular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Welcome to the White House This ceremony and the treaty we're signing today Are both excellent examples of the rewards of patience Благодарю вас всех. Добро пожаловать в Белый дом. Настоящая церемония и договор, который мы сегодня подписываем, служат прекрасным примером награды за терпение. It was over six years ago, November 18, 1981, that I first proposed what would come to be called the zero option. It was a simple proposal, one might say disarmingly simple. Come on, Paul. Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show. I'm Michaela, and we open today's show with an excerpt of then President of the United States, Ronald Reagan, speaking at the signing of the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty with Soviet General Secretary Mikhail Gorbachev in 1987. The signing of this treaty was a pivotal moment in bringing to an end the Cold War and the arms race between the United States and Russia, it had seen a massive build-up of nuclear weapons, with these superpowers subscribing to the doctrine of mutually assured destruction. The treaty saw the decommissioning of thousands of nuclear weapons, and inspections ended in 2001. But on October 20 last year, Trump announced that he was withdrawing the United States from the treaty, claiming that Russia has violated that agreement. Russia followed suit, noting that the US Congress had already earmarked money for research and development on intermediate and short-range missiles. The six-month withdrawal process will begin on the 2nd of February. With fears of a new Cold War and global arms race on the horizon, I thought it was a good opportunity to talk with long-time nuclear-free campaigner Dimity Hawkins. Dimity is a co-founder, former board member and ongoing campaigner for the Nobel Peace Prize winning International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, or ICANN. She has worked with a wide range of non-government organisations on nuclear disarmament and broader social, environmental and human rights issues since 1991. She is currently a PhD candidate at Swinburne University in Melbourne and her project is focused on the response of the Pacific Island state of Fiji to nuclear testing around the time of independence and decolonisation. I spoke to Dimity about the ending of the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty and what these developments mean for the nuclear disarmament movement. Thank you so much, Dimity, for joining me in the studio. That's my pleasure. It's lovely to be here with you. Now, I invited you in because Russia and the US have been in the headlines a lot. Oh, my (laughs) goodness. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And a lot of that has focused around Trump announcing his plans to withdraw from the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could start off by telling us a little bit about that treaty. Sure. So that treaty was um, one that was set up in the late 80s. And it was a treaty that was really pivotal in ending that Cold War, or at least 
looking at the de-escalation of that Cold War. In the mid-'80s, of course, there was such a lot of tensions around nuclear use, potential of nuclear use. There was a lot of tensions around nuclear testing still. We were at the height of the Cold War, and there was just more and more weapons coming on board from the major nuclear powers. So that treaty was a bilateral treaty, so between the United States and Russia, and it was a treaty that sort of formulated um, – it, it had an agreement around getting rid of certain classes of weapons and, and de-escalating them and putting no-go zones around certain parts of particularly Europe because that's where most nuclear weapons are based is around New- Europe because that was the basis of that Cold War. So it was a very important treaty in that sense. And it was one that saw in those first five years after that treaty happened, there was a massive reduction in nuclear weapons. They they disarmed masses of nuclear weapons. I mean, we're talking about two and a half thousand nuclear weapons by 1991. So it was pretty important and it was a pretty big signaler of a new building trust between those two superpowers. And why does it matter that it's those two superpowers? Well, it matters because even now today, they are the ones who have 92% of the world's nuclear weapons. So Russia and America, the two of them, lead by thousands the number of nuclear weapons in the arsenals of those uh, nuclear powers. So it really does matter how those two are interacting and what trust exists with them and what kinds of agreements around disarmament there might be. And so that's that's where it all began. So the the withdrawal, or as, as Trump has actually done at the moment, he's suspended that treaty, and that will lead to a formal withdrawal in six months' time. So that's the process of it, mm. unless they re-engage in it. Mm. So we've got a time here in which we can see the world putting pressure on them to re-engage in disarmament talks. But what also happened was that the Russians said, well, okay, yeah, sure, not a problem. We'll suspend it too. Mm. So we've seen a massive you know, withdrawing, a massive stepping back from any kind of hope of progress around disarmament between those major superpowers. The same week that happened, because, you know, you wouldn't want it to be any picnic or anything, would you? The French, who are the third largest nuclear weapons state, they have about 300 nuclear weapons rather than the thousands that both the Russians and the Americans have. The French tested a nuclear-capable missile just to say, hey, yeah, we're here too and we've also got a nuclear deterrent. Check us out. Very bad behaviour, <laughs> extremely bad behaviour by the nuclear weapon states in the last few weeks. We are not pleased. They get a grumpy stamp. Yeah. It's been radical and it's been really problematic yeah. and, it's, and it's indicating for more of this kind of thing to come. Yeah. And... Just to sort of clarify about that process, you were saying they've suspended that treaty, but Trump allowed to just make that decision. What is the political process? Is there one to formalise that? Can he just make that decision on his own? (laughs) Yeah, would hope not. With so many things with that person, you would hope that he doesn't get to make decisions on his own because we could tweet one morning and find out that we're all dead. Um, um, I am not across what the the barriers might be to this in the United States, but certainly in international law, there's always an out in most treaties are built 
uh, has built in and out. Under certain conditions, they can do this sort of thing. So the Americans and Trump has argued that the Russians are in violation of that treaty and therefore they're allowed to withdraw mm. from it. Yeah. Now, what processes and what barriers there are in the United States, I, I must confess I don't really understand that. But in terms of the international law, that's what they're claiming. The Russians are uh, insisting that's not the case. Um, this has been a long-time claim, even under Obama's time they had this claim mm. up about it. Um, but certainly we should be very worried about mm. the way that they've done this and we should be putting as much pressure as an allied state. Australia is an allied state mm. in the United States. No matter what some of us might think of that, we actually do have a voice in the room. Some would, some would argue it's not much of a voice. Let's face it, we're, mm. we're, we're not great leaders in that sense. We're great followers. But we should be saying, you know, this is putting us at risk. It's putting all of, all of the allies at risk and it's putting the whole world at risk as well. So mm. we need to get serious about putting our backs behind something like the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, mm. which, of course, I would say. But I think it's very important. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Obviously, Australia hasn't signed onto that treaty yet mm -hmm. because of that alliance and are there any signs that this developing situation is going to push them more towards that or what sort of responses have we seen from Australia? Well in the yeah in the course of the treaty negotiations before the treaty actually came into being in the United Nations it's not yet entered into force we need 50 states to sign and ratify that treaty, right? So it opened for signature in, this, on, in September of 2017. First day, got 50 signatures, straight up. Lovely day, very happy. Then it's been a process of getting ratifications because that's a longer process. In the course of all of that, in the negotiations towards it, in this time since the treaty opened for signature, we have seen Australia dragging their heels. We've seen them being ob obfuscating. They've been trying to um, block certain things. They've been putting pressure on certain ways. You know, they've been really quite a bad force and, and, and not a lot of goodwill in, in the international community towards Australia's approach on this sort of issue. Since the time of um, Trump, you would have thought that we would have seen, and we've seen times where there has been, we've been at the brink of nuclear warfare again with, say, Trump and or the United States and North Korea, for example. It has been brinkmanship of a nature that we haven't seen since the 80s. So you would have thought that that would be a sobering effect in Australian politics. I think it has had an effect on the opposition. Um, as it is currently, we were very encouraged to see the ALP National Conference adopt uh, support for the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. They had some considerations in there that they have to think about. Of course they do. Of course they have to think about those considerations. But they're not barriers to Australia signing up. So I very much hope that people will put pressure on their local members, on the candidates in the coming election and be talking about nuclear warfare because this is really actually everybody's business. We are all at risk in this game playing that Trump is doing at the moment. And we are all at risk through the complacency of our government. They are being absolutely complacent and complicit in allowing this to keep going on. So we must be putting some pressure on all of that. I think we will see some change. I think we have to see change. I think we'll see it globally. Um, we're certainly seeing those ratifications coming in. So we've got 21 now around the world, a lot in our region. We've got, um, you know, New Zealand, Vanuatu, Vietnam, Thailand, Samoa, Palau, Cook Islands. 
Now that some people will say, oh, yes, but they're all small, small island states or they're all small states. Doesn't matter. Each single one of those has a vote at the United Nations. Each single one of those is a sovereign state. Each single one of those represents the people of their of their place. And that's important. No one person in this world doesn't count because they're not in a big superpower. No one person in this world doesn't count because their government doesn't have nuclear weapons that can annihilate us all in an afternoon, which is what the United States and the Russians can do. So, um, so you know, more of that. We'll see more and more of that. We've got over 70 signatures from around the world. We've, we'll see more and more of that. We're hoping in the next year to see that treaty enter into force at the United Nations. And that's, I think, the, the good news. You know, there's a lot of bad news. And you're hearing about the bad news every day. And, it's, you know, people, I'm listening to a lot of people talking about prepping and <laughs> that kind of stuff more and more, whether it's climate or nuclear. You know, people are starting to feel the pinch. They're starting to feel very concerned, you know. But the reality is we don't have to prep for that. What we have to do is push for this. We have to push for a world free of nuclear weapons because it is ridiculous that we're still generations on still mm-hmm. dealing with this stuff. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, broadcast across the country thanks to the Community Radio Network. We'll go to the song Two Tribes by Frankie Goes to Hollywood and come back with the second half of that interview with longtime nuclear-free campaigner and initiator of the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons, Dimity Hawkins. Keep the peace. No apologies. During the Cold War, it seemed like there was a lot more awareness of the threat of nuclear weapons. And I know the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, they've had the minute hand. The Doomsday doomsday Clock. Moving closer and closer to midnight, but it doesn't seem like that's been accompanied by the same kind of global awareness of the threat of Mm. nuclear weapons that we had in the past. Mm. Do you think this current situation is going to shift that, bring it back into that consciousness? Or or does it just mean that, yeah, there's other work that's going on? There's Well, there's yeah, so much know. work going on. And I guess that's, you know, you're absolutely right. We're not seeing it, the big, you know, on the streets kind of campaigns. But then we weren't seeing those on climate change, um, you know, 10 years back necessarily. I mean, we've seen those building and building and building. We haven't seen those on Invasion Day rallies, but yet I was at an Invasion Day rally just a few weeks ago that was just mind-blowingly huge and I was so, so pleased. Not that long ago I was up on Invasion Day at smoking ceremonies up on Gertrude Street, you know, with, with, you know, a couple of dozen people. So... It's amazing how quickly those things can shift. What's important is keeping the awareness going, keeping the conversations going and trying to get the word out to people about this sort of stuff. It does feel like an old issue and you know for the in terms of the immediacy stuff, you know, climate change is very immediate to people's minds. It's another big transboundary kind of issue that we're facing. And we know it. You know, 45 degree days here in Melbourne, for example, the floods up in Queensland, the fires down in Tasmania, you know, these things are so immediate, so in our faces, we're really scared when we see that kind of stuff. And it's hard to have that much fear facing us about a huge trans global issue and then make room for another one which seems remote and seems to be, you know, boys being bad with their toys somewhere, you know, like it seems like we don't have a part to play in all of this. But Australia really has a part to play in this. We supply uranium 
to many of those nuclear weapon states that are, are doing things, not for their weapons, but we supply them uranium, which frees up for their weapons programs. We are a middle power in the world politic. We have alliances with the, one of the largest nuclear um, superpowers and we have you know, working alliances with other countries that have nuclear weapons. We have a voice in the room. We should have a voice in the room. ICANN, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, started here in Australia. And we started because we knew we had a responsibility. We as Australians have a responsibility to act on this global issue. And we have a role to play in that. We have a part to play in that. We have a responsibility in all of that. So I think that um, we will see that resurgence. I think we need to work towards that. But even as it is, there's some great stuff happening. You know, we're seeing a cities appeal all over the world. So cities, local councils, so local communities, local councils are putting forward resolutions to support the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons and call for an end to nuclear um, to nuclear weapons around the world. So that's really exciting. Here in Melbourne, we've got the city of Melbourne, we've got the city of Darabin, we've got Moreland, we've got Yarra, and the Yarra Rangers Council have all signed on. Uh, Sydney has signed on, the city of Sydney has signed on, the city of Frio has signed on, yay! Um, the city of Wollongong signed on as well. Like, there's a whole bunch of cities who are, who are jumping in again and saying, okay, let's take this local, mm. let's make this local, let's do some education locally, let's get it into the schools. Let's query about what kind of businesses in our local areas might be doing stuff that supports nuclear weapons. So we're seeing that kind of shift mm. as well. It's not just happening in the United Nations. It's not just happening in the newspapers. It's happening on the ground. And even again, we've, we're seeing divestment campaigns happening around the world. There's a campaign called Don't Bank on the Bomb, and it's mm. a great one, really in hitting its straps in, in Europe. Conversations happening here as well with banks and financial institutions and you know, superannuation, all of those sorts of things. But we're seeing major, major financial institutions in places like Germany and Norway, those sorts of places, divesting from nuclear weapons. And, you know, more of that. We've seen that happen with coal. Mm. We've seen it happen with tobacco. We're going to see more of that happening around this sort of stuff as Mm. well. We are not powerless as everyday people. We have never been powerless as everyday people. They would love you to think that it's, you know, don't don't worry, little lady. We'll we'll take care of this. Yeah, you leave it to the big boys. No, no, we're, we're not powerless in this. We have a voice and we should absolutely be using our voice around nuclear weapons because these weapons are terrifying. They are plentiful in the world right now and they are aimed at you and your family. And we actually should be taking it personally at every step. You mentioned about the campaigns around investment and looking at companies that are involved in nuclear weapons. So there are companies who are involved in nuclear weapons. Most of those large arms companies are transnational companies. They're big transnational companies. They've been involved from the get-go in making nuclear weapons. So there are, you know, the the, the top 10 sort of um, arms companies in the world, the Lockheed Martins and the British Aerospace and the Thales and those sorts of big companies all have roles to play in nuclear weapons um, uh, manufacturing or components, those sorts of things. In addition to that, the banks are funding those companies. They're investing in those. The superannuation companies are using those stocks to boost up your 
retirement savings, which is fantastic if you don't actually have a retirement because they blow the world up in the meantime. So these sorts of ways that it's in, it's sort of insidious and it's everywhere. These are big companies. We've seen, you know, you go up, go up to the War Memorial in Canberra at the, at the moment. You see those same companies have have you know studios dedicated to them at the moment you see if you go to canberra you fly into canberra you see the advertisements for these huge arms companies who are all involved in nuclear weapons they're very much you know their tentacles are very wrapped around our economy and wrapped around our ways of doing things so there's um, lots that people should look into, and I would encourage people to look at the Don't Bank on the Bomb campaign, and they have these annual reports which show each country which banks are investing and at what levels, that sort of stuff. So it's very interesting what you'll find in all of that. Yeah. And on a, another practical aspect, with these intermediate-range weapons mm. that are in focus, I guess, at the moment. Are we involved as far as like with Pine Gap or facilities like that? Pine Gap is absolutely central to the US military targeting around their nuclear weapon systems. Um, how much is, um, is, is hard for us to know because of the lack of transparency. There's great academics, including um, Professor Richard Tanter at Melbourne University, who've written on this in great detail, some really interesting in-depth analysis on that. Um, Des Ball, Professor Des Ball from the ANU, for many, many years was a major key advisor around this sort of stuff, and he wrote about it. These things are, you know, our, our role in terms of targeting is really huge. Our role in terms of the ways in which our military have become um, interoperable with the U.S. military is really just reinforcing those structures that it would allow this kind of warfare to go on. Even though we don't have nuclear weapons based on our territories because we're part of a of a nuclear weapons-free zone, the kinds of stuff that we have based on our territories, the exercises that we undertake, all of those sorts mm. of things, are worryingly interlinked with nuclear targeting. Yep. You've been listening to The Radioactive Show and a big thank you to Dimity Hawkins from the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons for joining us on the show today. We've been chatting to her about the ending of the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. Regular listeners would know that ICANN won the Nobel Peace Prize last year for their work on achieving a nuclear weapons ban treaty at the UN. And you can find out more about their powerful disarmament work at icanw.org forward slash au. Dimity also mentioned the website don'tbankonthebomb.com and we'll bring you a closer look at some of those companies that are involved with the nuclear weapons industry soon. This show was recorded on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nation, produced in the studios of 3CR in Fitzroy and heard across the country thanks to the Community Radio Network and with the generous financial support of Friends of the Earth's Ace Nuclear Free Collective. The collective is currently raising funds for the campaign to halt proposals for a national nuclear waste dump in South Australia. And we're holding an art auction on April the 12th at Arena Project Space. So if you would like to donate an artwork, then contact the collective by emailing ace 
at foe.org.au and we can send you all the details. To listen to the podcast of this or previous shows, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive and tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. The music on today's show is Two Tribes by Frankie Goes to Hollywood, chosen by Dimity, and we'll finish the show with a final message from her. I think we, I think we all need to watch this space. I think it's going to be really interesting days ahead, and it really is. Um, it should be concerning to everybody. I mean, you know, your listeners are switched on. Uh, many of you have all worked for decades around these issues and others, you know, interrelated issues, peace, environment, solidarity, all of those sorts of things. Um, You've heard the voices of survivors. You know what these weapons will do and who have done and continue to do because these weapons are radiological and therefore we're seeing that long-lived impact of those sort of tests and those sorts of, you know, nuclear use. So I would say watch the space keep alert and really understand that we have a voice in all of this and that we need to keep across it and get that education out there. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www. 3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.